Good morning, church. Welcome to week nine of Biblical Theology of Grief. This morning, we'll be looking at Grief Encouraged, Experiencing God's Sustaining Grace in Grief. Let's pray before we get started together this morning. Father, we once again slow down and, and come before you and ask you, oh God, to focus our, our hearts and our minds upon you and your truth. Father, we know that in this life there, have, there are so many things that come at us that vie for our attention and weigh down our hearts. God, we pray that you would lift us back up, that you would focus us on your son, Jesus, that you would teach us through your word this morning, that you would strengthen us, comfort us, remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus. Help us, O oh God, from running ahead, but to sit and to learn. And Father, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us as we study your word together, that we might know you more. Father, we thank you that you are a good God, a God who is worthy to be trusted, a God who gives us a living hope through your son, Jesus. We pray for the ministry of your word this morning, that you would bless it to our hearts, our minds, and that you would bend our wills towards yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning was going to be a little different than previous weeks in that I was going to run one point through this entire sermon this morning, and yet a beloved sister came up and said, I really appreciate you giving us three points. It's really easy to take notes that way. So, that changed. So we do have three points this morning. However, as we talk about those three points, it's kind of like when you want a nice hamburger, but you decide you want to eat healthy, and so you go with a protein-style burger, and so the first layer is going to be more like lettuce than a big old bun on the top. It's going to be more like a little piece of lettuce. Then we'll have a lot of meat in the middle, and then some lettuce on the bottom. So three points, but the first and the third point are going to be kind of light. Uh, if you've got a hand it on the way in, it has those three points outlined for you. You'll see three points are a typical life. Uh, by the way, if you do not have one of these, I think they're out in the foyer on the counter or right back here in the back. You'll see they are a typical life, an atypical psalm is where we'll spend most of our time this morning, and an extraordinary grace. And so let's begin with the first one, a typical life. If you watch movies or you enjoy movies or you've had children, you've probably been exposed to a Disney movie now or then. And so Disney has made a fortune off of creating movies or storylines that talk about life's difficulties. But they almost always end with happiness. That's why people like to watch it because there's a happily ever after ending. Yet in reality, as many of us have figured out, that's not how life always is. Sometimes there's just those difficult realities. The reality for us is that we realize life is hard. And even for the believer, life is very hard. Now, if you happen to wander in here to our Sunday school class this morning, 
and you are apart from Christ and thinking you're coming to seek hope in Christ, know that that hope is an eternal hope. Yet in this life, even for the believer, it will be hard. We experience pain. We experience sorrow, grief, anguish, distress. We experience sufferings of, of all sorts. We deal with health issues. We deal with marital woes. We deal with financial burdens. We deal with grief over children. We deal with sorrow over the loss of loved ones. We live with the pains from traumatic offenses. And the scars and the hurts of this life are endless. Now, for some of you sitting there getting depressed this morning, this isn't meant to depress you. It's a reality check. That this life is difficult. And sometimes these hurts are unbelievably, unbelievably difficult to carry. I know we have people in our fellowship who carry these regularly. We have people, some of us that are currently going through sorrow upon sorrow. And if you're here and you're like, well, I don't know what this is like. I don't know this life that is hard. Well, hold on, because you will. This life will bring us sorrows, difficulties, challenges. A typical life is one where agony of soul is experienced. I want you to think about that term, agony of soul. If you're here this morning and you've lived some time here on this planet, you know what agony of soul is like. You know what hurt is like, pain, sorrow. You know what loss is like. So at some point or another, we have experienced the agony of soul. Now, for some of us here this morning, it's been sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. And it's for this reason this morning that I want to study a psalm with you this morning. And so this is an atypical psalm. I told you that first layer was going to be a little piece of lettuce. There it was at the top. Now we're going to point two. Here's where the meat's coming. An atypical psalm. I've encouraged you as we've gone through these weeks that the Psalms is a, a wonderful place to journey through when life is weighing you down. Before going through any type of sorrow or difficulty or challenges in life, if you read through the Psalms, you think, man, these Psalms are just kind of bizarre. They like cry out and then they receive all, all this uh, comfort and their, their emotions all over the place. And yet you realize that's us. That our emotions run all over the place as well. And yet throughout the Psalms, we see someone running to God, seeking the Lord in the midst of their raw emotion and seeking help from their God. And so the Psalms is a great place to find yourself as you go through grief. It is a place that you'll find yourself weeping with the psalmist that you'll find tears on the pages as you read through the Psalms because you can understand the pain that they are going through. And yet typical Psalms start with the psalmist complaining about their circumstances, which we understand. We can relate to that. Difficult circumstances. And they're mourning their misery. And yet typically there's a resolution. There's either a maturing of faith or there's hope 
by the end of the psalm. And that's typically the rhythm of most psalms that we read. There's this crying out to God, there's this misery expressed, but then as they continue to seek after God, there's a resolution. There's hope in God. This morning, I want to share with you one psalm in the Psalter that does not do that, that does not have that trajectory. You might be thinking, why would you do that to us? Are you trying to discourage us this morning? Why would you give us the only psalm in the Psalter that does not have a resolution of seeing God working, seeing God answer the prayers of the saints? Well, I'm not trying to discourage you. No, I'm not trying to discourage you at all. It's quite the opposite. I want you to find hope this morning in the Scripture. I want you to know that you're not alone in your grief. And I want you to know this morning that crying out to God while going through agony of soul, does not make you less of a Christian. But rather, it is the fruit that you are a Christian. You understand that? Crying out to God while going through the agony of soul does not make you less of a Christian. It is fruit that you are a Christian. Keep that in mind as you open up your Bibles this morning to Psalm 88. Psalm 88 this morning. I'm going to read through the whole psalm the first time through this morning. We read in Psalm 88, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. 
My companions have become darkness. May God bless this reading of his word this morning. Typically, if we would come to this psalm in the Psalter, we would go right to the next one to see if we could find some hope. We would just continue reading. We wouldn't stop and pause and say, why is this psalm included in the Psalter? We would typically go, there was nothing there for me, let me continue reading. We would stop at the conclusion of that and say, I don't see the joy, the hope, the encouragement, I don't see what's in that psalm. Yet, our God has given us this psalm. And so we will study this psalm. As you look at that psalm, nowhere is the psalmist declaring that God has treated him unfairly. Nor is he accusing God of any wrongdoing. And he's not even demanding that God must act on his behalf. He's simply laying himself out bare before the Lord. This is exactly how he is feeling. He comes genuinely before the Lord. He is acting without hypocrisy, bearing his soul before the one who knows everything about him and before the one who he knows is in control of all things. And as you read that psalm and you look through it, you see that his emotions are raw and his thoughts are raw. And whether they're right or they're wrong, it's the way that he is feeling. He cries out in this psalm for mercy. He cries out for comfort. He cries out for hope. And what do we see by the end of the psalm? He's still crying out. It's interesting, this psalm in the Psalter, and maybe you've looked at this psalm before, maybe you haven't, but as I said, it doesn't follow the typical trajectory of a psalm. And so many theologians have made many comments about this psalm. One commentator said, this is the saddest prayer in the Psalter. Another commentator said, it is the gloomiest psalm found in the scriptures. The psalmist is as deeply in trouble when he has concluded his prayer as when he had began it. Another commentator said, this is the darkest, saddest psalm in the Psalter. It is one wail of sorrow from beginning to end. You say, really, Robert, this is what we're going to do this morning? You couldn't have picked any of the other ones before or after it? Psalm is important. It's a psalm of lament. It's unlike any other psalm. And because of that, we're going to see why this morning. Why is it? This psalm is included. Why has God given us this psalm, especially in the midst of grief? How does it bring us hope? I mean, if you look at it, it starts in misery and it ends in despair. How do you get hope from that? And so if we were to break down this psalm into sections, we would see that there is a cry of misery at the very beginning. In the first nine verses, there's a cry of misery. Then second half of verse 9 through 12, we'll see there's a plea for God to act now. And then it ends, verses 13 through 18, with a cry of despair. So there's a cry of misery, a plea for God to act now, and a cry of despair. Now, I want us to go through it one more time and read it. I want you to understand the emotion 
and the reality of what the psalmist is going through as he pens this. Look at your Bibles with me again. O Lord, starting verse 1, God of my salvation. This is a cry of misery coming. He says, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Church, do you hear the desperation in the psalmist's voice? The psalmist is coming to God, crying out day and night, begging the Lord to hear his prayer. Why? Verse 3, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. It means day after day is this sorrow, is this grief, and I'm getting closer to the grave, and there has not been a resolution. He says, I am counted, verse 4, among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. What does that sound like the psalmist experiencing? Abandonment. They feel like God has left them. That, that God is not listening. That God is not there. And if you have gone through deep, dark grief, there are times you might feel the same way. That as you cry out to God, say, God, I've been crying out to you day and night, and yet, where are you? the psalmist is writing this is a reality verses six and seven you have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves the psalmist knows that god is in control and now feels that this is discipline of god going through what they are going through and yet, what we must realize as we read this is these are emotions. Do you know that emotions are real, but they're not always right? You guys understand that? They're real, but they're not always right. And so this is truly what he is feeling, though in reality, did God abandon him? Has God left him or forsaken him? But it's how he feels it's an important lesson for us to know that just because we are feeling a certain way doesn't mean it's right doesn't mean it's truth although the feeling is real this is a real feeling he feels like i am here because this is must be your wrath being poured out upon me this must be your judgment upon me it says in verses 8 9 you have caused my companions to shun me you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Now, some of you can feel the pain of the psalmist. Some of you know exactly what they're going through. And yet, we find they are feeling not only has God abandoned them, but everyone around them has abandoned them as well. They're feeling alone. And knowing God is in full control, God, you must have done this. This is a cry here of misery. 
And this misery, by the way, is taken directly to the Lord. Now, when the author wrote this, there wasn't the invention of the internet and social media and all of that. And so we must be careful in this new age of how we reach out to God. It is not by going on social media and crying out to everybody our sorrows upon sorrows. It is going to God. That he is still the same God he was then. And yet, typically, we will go out and let the world know because we want a response from the world. The psalmist goes straight to God. A genuine cry of misery to God. And that transitions in this psalm from a cry of misery to now a plea for God to act. In verse, continuing in verse 9, Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. The psalmist is saying this isn't just like one time in the morning. It's not just one off that I went and cried out to God. It is a daily thing I am crying out to God. It is over and over and over again that the psalmist is crying out. And then he goes in this argument like, look, if I go to the grave, if my body is in a grave, from there it cannot praise you in the grave. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? He says, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or in your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? He goes to this argument of reasoning with God. Like, oh, by the way, God, if you were to deliver me now, then I'd be able to praise you now. And so he's trying to convince God of a reason why God should answer him now. And if you've been in pain or any type of sorrow or grief, you learn that you start making deals with God. Oh, God, if you would only do this, then I would do that. And he's saying, I, I can't praise you once I am gone. Would you act now so my lips might praise you? And then this psalm continues with another cry, a cry of despair. He says, but, O Lord, verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Again, the psalmist is feeling that God is not listening, that God is not there, that they have been abandoned. Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. So again, this isn't a one-off. This is a psalmist who's writing and saying, look, I have had sorrow upon sorrow. Throughout my life, he's saying, God, where, where are you? Where are you? Your wrath, verse 16, has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And it stops there. That's all that is written for us. Now, I'll tell you, if we read through that and get through all the emotion that is here, we're pretty dumbfounded about what's going on. Like, why is this recorded for this? It seems like there is just misery and despair, that there is no hope. And yet, those of you that grabbed a handout and know the title of this morning, it's Grief Encouraged. So far, you're like, uh, Robert, I'm not feeling so encouraged. This has not been helpful. This has not been a good use of my morning. 
But the subtitle for this morning is Experiencing God's Sustaining Grace in Grief. You say, well, okay, thanks for reading that. I see that on my paper. What does that have to do with what we're studying? Well, it has to do with an extraordinary grace. Let me explain. We read in this psalm that the psalmist is praying without ceasing. Are we not commanded as God's people to pray without ceasing? Absolutely we are. And we see the psalmist does that. In verse 1, if you look at it again, he says, I cry out day and night before you. Verse 9, every day I call upon you. Verse 13, in the morning my prayer comes or comes before you. Day and night, every day, in the morning. The psalmist is praying around the clock, doing exactly what a child of God should do. He prays, and he prays, and he prays. Anybody fill in the next one? And he prays. And when there's no answer, he prays more. And when there's still no answer, he prays more. More and more and more. And still, no answer, no answer, no answer. There's no relenting. There's no change in his circumstances. And do you know what the world calls it when you do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result? They call it insanity. What about when you pray and God doesn't answer? And so you pray and you pray, and you pray, and God doesn't answer, and doesn't answer, and doesn't answer. And you pray more, and you pray more, and you pray more, and God doesn't answer, and doesn't answer, and doesn't answer. And yet you pray expecting a different result. Is that called insanity? No, it's called faith. It's called faith. It is evidence that you are a child of God. Do you understand? There would be no point for you to continue to cry out to God. If there's no answer, I'm done. That's insane to continue doing the same thing over and over again when there's no answer, when there's no change in circumstance. And yet, for a child of God to continue to cry out to God is evidence of God's grace in their life, to cause them to go back again and again, and again. I mean, think about it. Reprobates, those who are not God's elect, they're not upset over the absence of God. They're not upset saying, God, where are you? Unbelievers don't cry out to God day and night. Who does? Believers do. Those who are children of God continue to go back to the one whom they belong to, to the one they know has control over all things. Job would put it this way in Job chapter 13, verse 15. He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. How does he say such a thing? A gift of God's grace. The reality that he is his how can we continue to call upon God when he doesn't seem to answer? 
Why would we continue to go back over and over and over again? And the answer is because you are his. You want to find hope in this psalm? The psalmist keeps going back to God over and over and over again, even in despair and misery and saying, God, you're not acting on my behalf. You're not changing my circumstances. God, I continue to come before you, but you haven't changed anything. Where's the hope in that? God's grace in their life, sustaining them to continue to come back to him, to continue to trust in him. You know, there are amazing verses in the Bible that speak of God's acting in our salvation even before the foundations of the world. Recently finished the book of Ephesians. In the beginning of Ephesians, we read in verses 4 and 5, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why would any person keep going back to God? Because they are his. It's because the work of God in their life, that he has sealed them with his spirit, and he draws them back to himself, that though he slay them, they will hope and trust in him. This is a work of God. It is fruit of God's spirit in us. If you have gone through grief and have gone back and back and back to the Lord and you've cried out day and night and you're like, my circumstances are not changing. The hope is this, the comfort is this, that the reason you kept going to him is because you're his. It's because of his sustaining grace in your life. Paul, writing to the believers in Philippi, said this in Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began it will complete it. And as we go through this life, when we go through times of grief, and when we don't see and think that God is acting, which, by the way, he is, this psalm that we just read, he is definitely acting in the psalmist's life, just not the way the psalmist is asking for it. But God is sustaining him. Nowhere does he cast God off and say, God, I'm done with you. Think about it. Anything else in life that we would have gone through the troubles of going after time and time again and not getting the result we wanted, we would have thrown in the towel. We would have ended it. This is dumb. This is useless. This is futile. There's no point of this. Then why does the believer continue to go back to God over and over and over again? Because they're his. Because he is their God. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We read in verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Here is the point. He is the one who sustains us. Nowhere are we told to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're told to come to him, and he carries us along. Nowhere are we guaranteed that our circumstances will change on this side of heaven. But we are promised an eternal hope. 
what we see from this psalm is we see God's sustaining grace in the life of those who are his. We see that the believer continues to cry out to God over and over and over again, even when their circumstances don't change. Because they hope in him, they trust in him. They know that he is the one who is in control of all things. And though raw emotion may bring the feelings at times that God has abandoned us, we know that it is his gift of faith that causes us to cling to him. It's what sustains us through those times. I mean, let me just slow down real quick. Think about it. If you had the choice, as you went through sorrow upon sorrow, to throw in the towel, you would have. I would have. And why don't we? Why don't we just say, forsake it all, forget it all. God hasn't answered me. He hasn't heard me. I feel like he has forsaken me, that he's abandoned me. So toss it away. Why hasn't that happened? Because he is faithful, he will surely do it. He who began the work is faithful to complete it. And though we might feel, remember, feeling is real, that's not always right. Though we feel that God has forsaken us or abandoned us, God is sustaining us through that grief. Our constant crying out to him is evidence that we are his. It is evidence that the psalmist is his. This morning, I want you to cherish that reality. If you have continued to go to God and crying out to him over and over and over again, and yet haven't seen your circumstances change or your feelings change, be encouraged that the reason you kept going to him is because you're his. Be encouraged this morning that the reason your faith has not failed is because he's sustaining you all the way to the end. That what he has begun, he will finish. That's the encouragement we get through this psalm. That though pain and sorrow may be extreme in this life, that we know that we have been chosen by God for eternal life. And as we've studied in the past, a time when there will be no pain and no sorrow. But in this time, as we call out upon him, be encouraged. It doesn't make sense in any other realm of, of our human experience, of anything that we would continue chasing after with no result that we would continue in. We would always abandon it. We would always give up. But the reason we continue chasing after God and crying out to him is because evidence that we're his, and he keeps drawing us back. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we look at the psalm that a first glance over would cause us to typically keep reading more psalms, that would cause us to want to find some resolution, some hope, some happily ever after peace. And yet, God, you have included this psalm for us to give us exactly that, to give us hope. 
that in this life there are going to be times that we cry out to you day and night. We cry out to you in the morning. We cry out to you all the time. We pray without ceasing. We ask, O oh Lord, for you to intervene, for you to help, for you to change circumstances, for you to relieve the weight that we're carrying. And yet there are times that we continue on with that same weight. And we continue crying out over and over and over again. God, I pray for anyone here this morning that finds themselves in that exact situation. They continue to cry out, and yet their feelings are very similar to the psalmist of feeling, God, are you even there? God, why are you not hearing me? That this morning through this psalm, they'd find a great comfort. That the reason they haven't thrown in the towel, the reason they haven't given up all hope, the reason they haven't just abandoned their faith is because you are the one who is sustaining it. It is your grace that continues to sustain them. It is evidence that they are a child of yours, that they would continually call out to you day and night, that they would depend on you for all things, that they would know that you're in control of all things. Father, may this truth be one that they cherish this morning. That Lord, all of the crying out, all of the time agonizing in prayer, all the time weeping in prayer, was not worthless, but was evidence of the gift of faith that you've given them to run to you, to remain in you. Father, we thank you for the promise that the work that you have begun, you will complete. We thank you for the promise that you are faithful even when we are faithless. Father, I pray that you would help us as a people to find the beauty, majesty of your son, Jesus, to be one that our minds would be so quick to run to, that would be our comfort and our joy in the times of despair, in the times, of, uh, in the times that are good, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would always be before us. Father, that we would know that it is you who has chosen us before the foundations of the world. It is you who took us from darkness and made us light. It is you who has breathed new life into us. God, would you help us to have great hope in the fact that though we don't see necessarily our circumstances changing or the things around us in our eyes improving, we would find great joy that you are upholding us that you will get us to the end and we pray these things in Jesus name